Welcome to the Minnesotan Hockey Podcast. If you haven't already, do yourself a favor and check out the Minnesotan. You can visit their flagship store in historic downtown White Bear Lake or visit them on the web at theminnesotan.com. On today's show, we sit down with Chris Howe, the head hockey coach at Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota. He's also the golf assistant golf coach there, too. So we'll have a little chat about golf and his role at the golf program for the Cobbers. Look forward to a great show with Chris Howe. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, good afternoon, Mr. Howe. How are you doing today? Hey, pretty good, Tony. How's good the- to hear from you. Oh, yeah. How is the weather in balmy Moorhead, Minnesota today? Well, today it's not bad. There's uh, not a lot of wind, so I'm happy about that. You know, when I go on my runs in the morning or in the afternoon, it's the, the first thing I look at is the wind. So today wasn't real windy, so I'm happy in the sunshine, so it's all good here. It's just kind of fascinating not to be a recruiting knock on Moorhead, but it is so windy in Fargo-Moorhead. Is that just because there's no trees to stop it? What is the deal with that? I don't know. It's incredible, though. I, I, I always tell people that I hate talking about the weather, but when you're from Moorhead, it's uh, it's something that, 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 that you talk about because it, it does impact what you're going to do that day. And so, But, no, I don't know what it is. It's just it's a different type of, of deal, but it's all part of the experience, and we always say that, you know, it helps you, uh, you know, it toughens you up uh, to be from here. And uh, as an implant, I feel like I've gotten tougher over the years. It's funny, you walk out of the youth rink there, and it's just like, I call it the bushy blow. You just get, get blown over when you walk out of that bushy <laughs> rink. It's something else, isn't it's it? Amazing. Yeah, it really is. I mean, parking's a premium there. You want to get to a spot where you can, you get into that building as quickly as you can, for sure. And, you know, it's a, there's a lot of people scrambling around there to find a good spot. Well, it's funny you talk about being an implant. You spent uh, 12, 13 years in Bemidji. That's not exactly Florida, you know, being no, from Bemidji. Cold too. Yeah, Bemidji's cold, too. And Bemidji, has a, it's a late cold, uh, and so it's a different kind of cold in Bemidji. And Fargo-Moorhead, it's a dry, windy, it's just a, it's just a different type of chill. But, yeah, so I've lived in a couple of real cold places, Bemidji and then Moorhead. But, you know, again, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all part of the fun. So after you, you grew up there, uh, and you must have been, you know, in in hog heaven there if, as a hockey player. Bemidji just had so many great with the, with the college there and a great uh, high school program. Uh, growing up, you really couldn't miss p- play, but play hockey there uh, in Bemidji. Well, again, I, again, I feel real fortunate to have been uh, have been born in Bemidji and grew up there. And- and uh, again, in my family, my my dad was a was a college hockey player. My grandpa was a, a college hockey player, football player, Bemidji. And uh, my dad's two brothers were both college hockey players out of Bemidji. So kind of being born there, it was right away, it was like, okay, you know, I wanted to be a hockey player just like my dad, and I wanted to be a lumberjack. And uh, you know, at that time, and it was really. It was a great group of kids. I mean, we had the outdoor rinks there, Cameron Park and nine more outdoor rinks. And then, again, right away, my dad, he built me a rink in my backyard. And 
and those are the times that I remember. I remember just uh, you know being in the backyard and the big game. We had a long season to play. It was cold, so uh, you know he had the rink out there. And you know it's it's funny. You know, one of the things that I remember the most is you, you know those '80s, early '80s state tournaments. I remember you know watching those games, and then I'd go out in the backyard and I pretend I was playing for you know Bemidji against Grand Rapids in the state tournament, Bemidji against Hill Murray. Uh, in the state tournament, or, or Bemidji against you know Burnsville, all those teams, and, and I remember pretending out in the backyard and having games in my head. I guess that was done before we had uh, all the things we have now to do that are inside. I was all doing stuff like that. So, but yeah, I always wanted to be a lumberjack uh, when I grew up. That's what I wanted to play for. What a great community to grow up in for that. Did you get to go to many Bemidji state games, or did you guys just do caught up in in your own schedule too? No, we, we would go. We would go to the Bemidji State games. Uh, you know, when I was there, uh, you know, when I was six, seven, and eight years old, Bemidji State had an unbelievable run of teams. Uh, they had Joe Otto. They went undefeated, I think, one year. I think that I really yeah. think they went well, they did. undefeated one year. Yep. In and, 82, uh, 82. Yeah, 84. Yeah, yeah. 84. So I, we would go to those games. But again, my heroes were the guys on the high school team. I mean, that's, you know, I. We that was back when uh, you know they do it now all the time, but individually at that time when you were a, a five and six year old and a seven eight year old, they you got one one game a year in between periods. You got to go out and, and you know have a little game in between periods, and that was like the highlight of the year. And I remember one year I uh, you know we were out there playing, and uh, everybody was supposed to go off the ice uh, to the players box, and I kind of took a wrong turn. I remember staring at Mike Sauer, sprinting out, leading the jacks out, and I almost got run over there coming out and went out the wrong door. So, you know, but I remember that because Mike Sauer was a man. I mean, he was, he was a great goalie there. And that was right before they got really good, um, really good, when they went to state in 85 and 86. Mike Sauer was a goalie, and I really liked Mike Sauer. And then, of course, uh, in 85 and 86, those guys uh, were, were pretty amazing, that team. They're fun. Besides the obvious question, you know, George Palava, there were some other great players on that team. You talk a little bit about George and some of the other uh, the supporting cast he had in those two years. Well, like my favorite guy, I love Ron Flower. He was number five. And he was really a good player. He's a crafty center. He played with George. Uh, and then Darren Fawson went to North Dakota. Um, I really liked Darren uh, watching him play. And then you know, everybody loved Pitt Peters, Coach Peters' son. He was a, you know, a great goaltender, and uh, you know, he was everybody. Everybody loved him. He was like the, he, he, I think the team rallied around him. I think he was kind of the, the ringleader, or centerpiece. But we loved Steve Peters, and then obviously George, and I mean, there were there were a lot of guys on those teams that were pretty good. That uh, we just loved them, and they, you know, it was it was. It was kind of a throwback to where you see now a lot of high school teams are involved with their youth, and those guys were around, and, and they were on the outdoor ranks, and and it was really a neat, neat deal. And I think that started with the Brian Grand and right. Brian Brink on that, and the high school team, how they made it a part of Everybody was a part of this. Everybody was a part of, of those groups. It's kind of a neat time. Tell us a little bit about Brian Grant. Cause it's, it's it's a neat story about where how he built the program. He's a Roseau guy, isn't he originally? Yeah, well, you know, Chuck Grill start like he was like the main. Like Jim Smalley started it. Uh, he was the first coach, and then it went to um, Chuck Grill, who everybody knows. And then Brian came, and 
you know, to, to the stories about Brian Graham, but Brian Graham was like, to me, much of the life. I mean, he was, he was, you heard the stories about how great he was as a player, but more than that, to us, he was just a, he was this guy that was around a lot, and he was a high school coach that would come out with his shin pads on at your five or six year old and seven and eight year old practice. And uh, he just, he made, he just, he had a love for the game and a passion for the game. And, you know, we still see Brian now, he's, he's full of life and a, and a passionate guy. Uh, he still carries his golf bag around the golf course. And he's just somebody everybody looks up for, and a real humble man. But, you know, the thing was, he played on a team called the Mickey Blues. And uh, it was a senior team. My yep. dad played on that team. And I remember watching Brian Graham play, even when he was, uh, you know, I shouldn't say he was old, but for me, he was old. But he was my Wayne Gretzky. Like, that guy was unbelievable watching him play. And, and I used to just be in awe of him as a player, you know, even as a senior player. So the, that, there's few stories of that one. Yeah, go ahead. They, they, were, they were probably playing at the World Lakers and the other teams throughout the, the towns yeah. in northern Minnesota, right? Yeah, the Tacanite Hornets, the the, the Rosalies, the Moor Lakers, all those teams. So for a young, you know, I was you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, seeing him skate around, it was pretty cool. Like he was, he was just a again. It was like that's who I watched when I went and watched my dad. I watched my dad play at his shifts, but you know, I was a little kid at those games. He had watched Brian Graham play. So after when you're 13 years old, your family pulls up stakes and moves to St. Cloud. What was that like as a as a teenager having to having to move away from your buddies in Bemidji? It was a, it was a tough move. I mean, it was not an easy move uh, to make. I mean, Bemidji was such a, a great place. I mean, it was Bemidji is a unique place. Or at that time, it was really unique with uh, just the setup of the hockey, the outdoor hockey culture, and then the golf culture. Uh, as a young golfer, it was it was it was just like it was like a, a, a heaven for young golfers. I mean, the golf course just it was full of young kids out there, and, and it was the same guys that were playing hockey that were playing golf. So it was just it was like my childhood was you know the outdoor rinks in the midi, my backyard rink, and then uh, the Nijitona Country Club. It was hard to leave. It was hard to leave, but you know it, it was. It was different back then. I think families left. I mean, that's just the way it went. I mean, my dad got a job, and we were going. It wasn't like we had a lot to say about it, you know? Right. So you get to St. Cloud, and you're the the oldest in your family. You go to Apollo. How were the Apollo teams when you got there in the 90s? You know, they had some really good teams. I mean, they were some good players. Corey Whalen kind of – that was one of the things we took to Apollo. My dad, uh, my dad was like, well, look, you know, here's Apollo. They – they went to State in 84, and they lost to Denfield a couple of years with Corey Valen, uh playing. And my dad's like, well, that's where we're going to we're gonna get you into Apollo, you know, because they, they just about made the state tournament, and, and they did make in 84. So that's why we chose the north side of St. Cloud. And basically, was, you know, Corey Leyland and, and his teams kind of were like, okay, we're going to go to that side of town. But, you know, there's some really good hockey players there at that time that were coming through, and and I kind of was able to get in with a group of guys that, uh, you know, Stuart Swenson was a really good player and yep. Kelly Reed was a really good player. Um, and I was kind of able to get in there. I didn't, obviously I had to make the band team and walk that way when I first got there. But when I got to high school as a ninth grader, those were the guys who were, you know, playing Kelly was a senior. Stuart was a, uh, you know, he was a, uh, what was he a junior when I was a, a ninth grader. So I played two years of Stu and, 
There was a couple other players in there that were pretty good. So we had some good teams. We weren't quite good enough to beat, uh, you know, my sophomore year, we lost to Elk River in the semifinals uh, down in Elk River, I mean, down at the Coliseum. Yep. And then we switched sections, and then my junior, senior year, we lost to Moorhead every year, and that was that was a buzzsaw. There was no possible. We weren't, we weren't winning those games, you know. So. <laughs> you you kind of got a, a glimpse of the future there, didn't you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's I kind of chuckle looking back, and I always uh, kind of, you know, thank Josh Arnold and, and Rob Graham and those guys for kind of letting me play this up here because I feel like I've been very lucky that the Bemidji people kind of have, uh, have kind of looked at me as being a, uh, they always welcome me back to Bemidji as one of theirs. And then, you know, obviously St. Cloud people and now the Moria people have kind of took me in and accepted me as a part of their group too. So it's, I'm a real lucky person that way when it comes to, you know, hockey. It's kind of, hockey's always been, the, you know, um, helped me ease any move I've made. Hockey has been right since. Which just speaks volumes to the game. It seems like I, it's a common theme just in the last 10 days where hockey has bridged so many different gaps, whether it be a, a, a move like you're talking about. It could be race. It could be uh, it could be the loss of a loved one. I mean, speak to the, that about your life. I mean, not, not just the move, but in, in a lot of different ways how hockey's been great for you. Well, it really has been everything. It's like, you know, you want to talk about the move, um, so we moved to, to St. Cloud, and I remember this vividly, so we're there, and it just happened that I didn't know this at the time, but Coach Harrington had moved to St. Cloud from Denver. He was coaching in Denver. Yep. And so he had moved to be an assistant at St. Cloud, and my dad and I were out. So one of the things my dad and I was doing, we built the ring. My dad would build the ring. I would help him. You know, I wasn't real handy, but my dad would do this stuff, but he always said that help. So. We were out uh, in, in the, the empty lot next to my house, and this must have been, uh, it was probably early September, so and maybe in late September we were trying to get the link ready, and we're out there putting the boards up, and we're hanging lights, and this guy kind of is walking on the street, and he kind of hollers out to us, kind of, what are you guys doing out there? And uh, he goes, well, we're putting up our rink, and we're hanging our lights, and the guy kind of looked, and he noticed how it was Coach Hanson, and you know, my dad had played college hockey at Notre Dame and Coach Hanson had played at UND and my dad was older. But it was Coach Hanson. So that was kinda you know, he had moved in about a half mile down the street. So it was kinda like one of those things right away where Coach Hanson was there and and he became uh, friends of our family my you know, at that point and it wasn't like we were, you know, hanging out all the time, but it was one of those things where right away there was a again hockey you move and the coach became a big part of my life after that. So, yeah, that was an interesting story uh, with that uh, with hockey too. But it's just been really a, for me, uh, hockey's done everything for me. And as far as every stage of my life, hockey's done that. So at at some point, you you graduate from uh, Apollo and you head to St. John's. Was was Harrington the coach at that time? Yes, he was. Yes, he had. So when I was going to so he didn't school, have to, he, he didn't have to at, go very far to recruit you, did he? No, he didn't. And uh, he was at St. Cloud State, and uh, and then he moved to St. John's, and St. John's opened up. So I think it was my last two years in high school. He might have been at uh, he might have been on St. John's getting that started. So um, yeah, it was an easy call for me, um, you know, to go play for him. And uh, you know that was it was yeah I, I didn't go very far at all. You know, I wanted to I wanted to play at Notre Dame. That's what I always wanted to do, and 
and I just probably wasn't good enough at that time, and my grades probably weren't good enough either to get into Notre Dame. But that's I always wanted to go to Notre Dame because that's where my dad went and my dad's yeah. brothers went. And, you know, it's a Notre Dame. Growing up as a Notre Dame, um, you know, a, a Notre Dame family, that's what you want to do. But St. John's was, uh, was, was a great place too. So I ended up going there out of high school. Uh, so you played a couple years there. What were some of your greatest memories of playing college hockey? Well, the, the greatest memories for me were uh, being a great team in 97 uh, that went to the national tournament. And that group of guys was just a really, really great group. I mean, there were some, uh, you know, we had Trey Sarsman on that team. We had Nick Camp, uh, the Johnson brothers who flew to St. Michael. They became great friends. Uh, just some really great, Matt Erich was my roommate. Um, and, you know, looking back on those teams uh, in those years, it was it was it was just a group of the guys. I mean, just a really you know, we look back now and they're like it's really a unique group of, of people that, for the most part, you know, we all ended up coaching. We all ended up doing something that you know, like get, get back to the game. And but those just the memories of the times with the group, with the team, and then you know, we was like Coach Harrington was. Uh, it was pretty unique at that time. It was pretty, pretty special to play for him. I mean, you know, we were we were just old enough to, to kind of remember and know what, what went on in 80. We didn't have the movie Miracle, but we knew who Coach Harrington was, and we knew who Herb Brooks was, and we knew, you know, what we did. And, and it was we were, it was a big deal for us to to be able to be around him. And he didn't talk about it much, but we knew. You know, we knew, and we knew he was... You know, he beat the Russians. I mean, that was a big deal, like for all of us. And you know, so those are some of the memories there with him. And you know, it was it was a real neat time. And, and now, like I told you earlier, it's like when we get together as a group. I mean, it's 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 so great. I mean, nobody talks about the, you know the wins and the loss. Nobody talks about who scored the goals. It's just like everybody talks about how much fun we have and talking to each other's kids and. You know, what are you kids doing? How's your family? You know, those are the things. And I always try to tell my guys that, like, guys, in 10 years, nobody's going to care who scored the goal to, to get us, you know, that beat St. Thomas. Nobody's going to care. They're going to talk about everything else, you know? Yeah. So tell me about a, Har- a John Harrington practice. I heard they're somewhat legendary. Yeah, Coach Harrington, I mean, he, again, he's probably, besides, you know, my, my, you know, my, my parents, uh, as far as coaching, he, you know, and everything with hockey, he's, he was just the biggest impact on my coaching career as far as what, I, what I'm doing now. But his practices were, were tough. I remember coming in and, and you know, you know Mondays we played a lot of – Mondays were great because Mondays, if you did well on the weekend before, you come in and you, you could play small games. You'd, it'd be a lot of school work, and it was just up and down, c- compete, and it was a lot of fun. But Tuesdays, I remember Tuesdays were always, uh, you know, it was defensive and conditioning. And you would come out, and I was a defenseman, and, you know, we would do a drill called D tires. And man, they, it was, it was, it was just, you, you, you start in the boot, the red line, you go down, you pivot on the tire, and you go backwards, and you play this one on one. And it was, we dreaded it as defenseman because it was so hard. Just, you knew that it was because you took that tire and you be standing right there. And kind of hollering at you there on that tire and play play the rush and then and then we also knew that that day meant that okay we were going to three on three low 
and we were grind it out there in every condition. And everybody kind of knew that that was going to be our Tuesday. And, and it, it was it was a challenge. Like, I remember, you know, feeling after his practices on a day-in-a-day-out day day basis and sitting in my stall after, you know, like, you know, one of those great feelings of exhaustion that you have. Like, you know what, this is, this is really something. And, you know, we took a lot of pride in that. We took a lot of pride in trying to, uh, you know, as a group of players, too, we said, hey, we're going to, we're going to somehow have a perfect practice. We want to please coach, you know, and, and that was all of us secretly wanted compliments from coach. And uh, it was a big deal back then to, to get praise from coach. So let, let's walk through after college. Um, you have kind of an interesting route to, to getting into coaching. Walk through. I think that's what you wanted to do. After you graduated, you wanted to be a teacher. You wanted to be a coach. Walk through some of those early years before you ended up uh, coaching and teaching at St. John's. Well, the first step was, I remember Jeff Deason, he coaches with Coach Harrington at St. Cloud. Um, he coaches at Mankato right now with him, or University of Minnesota, Mankato, at the women's program. He called me. It was summer going into my maybe my senior year in college. And he said, hey, Gordy, uh, we're short coaches at the, it was called the USA Select 15s at that time. Uh, yep. And it was it was the Minnesota version uh, that was in St. Cloud. And he's like, we need counselors. So why don't you come and do this and you could be my assistant coach. So at that time I was like, okay, you know, I get paid 400 bucks to go be on some pretty good, pretty good hockey players and get exposed to coach, you know, some coaching and, you know, have some fun. And I, I thought that'd be a good thing. And I went there and, you know, there was a guy named T.R. Brill um, who, who ran these camps and, and him and a guy named Dave Henderson kind of were the, the original founders. And, you know, I did that for, after that summer, I did that every summer all the way through, um, you know, my college years and, and then into my early coaching years. And so, um, that was my first exposure and T.R. Brill kind of liked me with help at that time, um, with, with Ted Brill kind of liking you as a coach. Right. So that kind of started it. And then, and then I'm like, okay, well, I need to get a job. And at that time, you know, I had a degree in teaching. So I, I got a teaching job, and, and it was in Dasso, Cocado, and I was down there, and my brother was playing for Apollo at the time, and he kind of called and said, hey, coach, you know, there's a new coach here. Uh, do you think you'd want to come and, you know, be an assistant? And I said, yeah, sure, I, I could do that. I was living in Hutchinson, and I started driving back and forth uh, to coach Apollo. My brother was playing, so I was, okay, now I was in, in at that point, coaching, and and I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm like, okay, this is something that I'd like to think of. How great would it be to to coach full-time? And yeah. So, you know, and I was teaching. And, I, you know, I taught, taught uh, an alternative high school. I was a social teacher. And um, I just, you know, I, I knew Craig Dahl. And because, you know, we had played down there. And I, I reached out to Craig Dahl. And I said, hey, you know, Craig, I'd love to get into coaching uh, full-time. And I said, I don't really know how to go. And I hadn't played Division One. I. I hadn't, you know, played trolling and like that. So it was a Division Three base. And he said, well, here's what you got to do, you know, Gordy. He said, you got to come and be a graduate assistant for me. And I said, wow, that'd be unbelievable. Like, can I, can I, you know, how's that going to work? And he goes, well, see if you can get a leave of absence for your teaching and you can teach till, see if you can get through to teach till noon and then come up here and coach with us and then be at the rink at 
you know, to one o'clock and then you do all the stuff that we do. And, you know, so I, I applied for a leave of absence. I was three years into my teaching career and I applied for a leave of absence and I got it. And I ended up coaching at St. Paul State that year. Uh, and it was, it was incredible. It was a great group of guys. Ryan Malone was there. It was uh, Joe Monstro and uh, Maddie Hendricks. I mean, it was, it, they had a really good team. They were just coming off, uh, you know, not cup. I think they won the McNaught Cup the year before I got there. And so it was a real fun experience uh, to get there. And then, so my plan the whole time, Tony, was, okay, I was going to do that one more year. Yep. And then I was going to, you know, chase the Division One, you know, route by going to juniors and, and cutting your teeth like a lot of these coaches do now. And during that year, I ended up um, starting to date my to-be wife, uh, and she had a, a young son. Yeah. And and uh, it's, you know, I our families were connected before that, but it it became serious quick. And then I started thinking, okay, well, what am I going to do now? You know, I can't really not work if, you know, we got pretty serious, you know, within a year we were talking about getting married. And at that point I had to make a decision and choice of, you know, what am I going to do? And so that's when I went to Coach Harrison and I said, coach, you know, I mean, what do you think I should do with this situation? And, he had just happened to have his assistant coach, Jeff Geeson, go to St. Cloud State to be the assistant coach with the women there. So no he way. needed an assistant coach. Yeah, so he needed an assistant coach. He was like, well, Gordy, here's what you're going to do. If you want to be a, a coach, you know, you, you can come to me and you have your full-time job, still with teaching, and I'll help you and, and give you every opportunity I can to, to move you on. Uh, just a different path. And I said, okay, coach, that's what I'm going to do. And so I did one more year in Glassville Potato and drove back every day. My, you know, Katie was living in St. Cloud and, um, you know, I had a commute every day. And for two years, I did that. And then I got a job in Sartell teaching to where it was easier for me to coach with St. John's. So that's how that path happened. And then I was at St. John's. Uh, you know, for another five years before the Korea job opened up. And then, you know, that was an interesting story, too, how that happened. But, uh, you know, that job opened up, and Coach Harrington actually was leaving at that time. And it was it was tempting to want to stay and try to get the St. John's job. Right. But Coach is like, no, he goes, go for the, you know, Gordy, you've been here a long time. He goes, you won't have to follow my footsteps. Who knows if you're going to get this job? It's not going to be available for another month, you know, or before he was going to be leaving. He said, go try to get the Concordia job. And I did that. And, you know, the rest of history there for when or now, it was the best choice I ever made. So it so could have been, been pretty awesome. what life could have looked like is – you could have waited a month and not gotten the job, and then by that time, in the rearview mirror, the Concordia job would have been in the in the. You couldn't have gotten that job. It was kind of the old bird in the hand yeah. is better than two in the bush, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting, Tony, that I, you know, we were in the playoffs at St. John's, and we had played Concordia the week before the playoffs, and 
and we beat them up pretty good. I think it was eight one nine one. And I remember, like, and I had already been interviewing. I'd been in the process of up talking with Concordia, and I remember like saying, I don't know if I could do this. <laughs> you know, it was like I don't know what I'm, and I hadn't got the job yet, but I actually pulled my name out after that. I pulled my name out of the whole process, and I remember to this day, I remember it was we were getting ready to go play Hamlin in the playoffs, and. Um, I was down riding the exercise bike in the National Hockey Center, and I ended up having this feeling like I'm like I gotta I gotta try to get back into this job. And I called my wife, and I said, at that time Katie's my wife, and I said, Hey, I just feel like I gotta go for this. And she's like, Okay, let's do it. So then I said, Okay. So then that next day I called Concordia and I said, I want to get back. You know, if, if you'll let me have another opportunity, I'd like to get back into this and they granted me that. So I'm very grateful for that. Where's your, where's Katie from? Where, 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 where would it, okay. So she's, yeah. she, she's open to moving to Moorhead. It's not like she was from a different part of the state. So she was open to it. Yeah, she was. And, and again, like I, a big part of it was we knew how great of a community Moorhead was with youth hockey and for just kids in general and families. We knew that. And, you know, that was, a, if, if, if I, I know that the, if it wasn't that, we probably would have stayed at St. John's, but it was like this community was, we knew about it. We, you'd heard about it. And you played against it, here, right? You saw it. You played against it. Yeah. And just, and I knew those guys, like, I mean, I growing up playing against those guys too. So it was like, you just heard, you know, you knew what type of community it was and that with a young son adopted at this time and a daughter it was like, this could be a great opportunity. And, and I know it sounds crazy, but as a dad and a, and a family, you think about that. Like, you, you grow up in Minnesota, and you're like, man, I'd love my son to get an opportunity to play in a state tournament. I'd love my son to get an opportunity to, to be around, you know, great hockey people. And, and and that was a big part of the move. And you're so, right. And, and yeah. if people don't know Moorhead as well as you and I do, uh, you're right in the thick of it. You know what I mean? Like, people don't realize Concordia's uh, rink, your rink where you train, is the same exact spot where the high school trains. You guys play in the same arena. Uh, you're the youth arena is about two blocks away from from the from the Concordia arena. It's just one big hockey heaven if you want to look at it in a certain way. It's as good, it's as, it really good as Roso. It's as good as Warroad in some ways. It's it's, just, it's ideal setting to grow a hockey player. And then you're going to be yeah. there. You're going to run uh, a, a Division three program. You're well connected. You're not going to have any trouble getting kids from North Dakota and Northern Minnesota and all over the place to come and play for you. Just give you a couple years and you'll be successful. That's probably what you were thinking back in 2008. Yeah, it was, and that was my whole recruiting plan was coming in. It was like, okay, I'm going to tap into the 150-mile radius, draw a circle around Moorhead, and that's where I was going to go, and that's actually what's happened. Um, that That's where we draw a lot of our players from, and obviously, you know, now it's it's, it's expanded even more, but the, our bread and butter is, I always you know, say that the Great Plains uh, Elite League team is, you know, I kind of camp out there and see how many of those guys I can get and it just happens that a lot of them are from Moorhead, Rose, Warro, East Grand Forks, Grand Forks, Bismarck, you know, that area. Uh, Bemidji, Thief, I mean, all those places, that's where I get my guys from Grand Rapids. 
Um, that's where we get it from. But it is an unbelievable hockey place. And, you know, I know, you know, if Moorhead's in the state tournament or playing a city team, if there's not another Northern Minnesota team, everybody's cheering for Moorhead um, yeah. in those type of games. But it's a really unique place, Tony, and I, and I can't say enough about it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty spectacular when you start looking at uh, what it is. It's community-based hockey at its best. You know, I know there's tons of great community-based hockey places in Minnesota, but, you know, we're pretty fortunate in Moorhead what I've been able to see happen for my, my son. So you, you know, have... It's not just hockey. It's all, it's all things in Moorhead that they support, so... Right, so so you have this 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 great uh, venue to play in and and, and recruit to. Uh, talk about building that program uh, over the last twelve years. What what has it taken? Uh, who who are the type of players you're looking for as the hockey coach there? Well, number one, I, I knew coming up here that you had to tap into. You know, if I number one, if I can get more players. Um, and, and players in the Fargo Moorhead area that 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 are, you know, that are capable of being Division Three player. Now I say that because a lot of times you know your top player in Fargo Moorhead um, is is going to go beyond uh, right to hockey. So you know you, you say okay, I gotta I gotta try to make sure I keep those kids in Moorhead. Um, number two, I said you know I really want to get guys who. Um, we're, we're captains of the high school team, captains of the junior team, if possible, and you know, great students. I mean, because again, it's a private school. You have to be a you have to be a really good student to to have success here. It's, you know, and that's all all the Mayak schools. That's one thing that maybe people don't realize is, you know, there's a lot of demands on them academically um, that that are different. I mean, it's not like we have. Um, we have academic counselors, but it's different than a Division One program where you have your team in there and you have one person for your group and, and they can really focus in. These guys are, I mean, they're not on their own, but they, they have, they're set that up. They're, they're taking care of this. You've got to have a pretty strong world student um, as, far, as well as a hockey club. And then coming up here is that I have to find a way to get as many kids from you know, I, I call it the, the, you know, the two one eighters. Right. I had to find a way to get the two one eighters. And so when I'm looking for a player, again, you know, I want a kid that's a big guy. I want a kid that's an athlete. I want a kid who's a captain. I want a kid who loves the game. I mean, it's, it's, I know that it seems obvious that you say you want a kid that loves the game, but there is a difference. I mean, there's kids that, that play because they're good. There's kids that play because that's just what they thought they should do. And then there's the guys, you know, like right now, one of my captains is Bo Wilmer. He's from uh, Warroad, Minnesota. He's yep. Baseball, football, hockey. Baseball, football, hockey. And he just loves hockey. He, he, came, to, he came to us and he came as a true freshman and he has passion for the game. And that's, you know, you're looking for those guys. And we got a whole bunch of those guys. So when you're on the recruiting trail, and recruiting is a for hockey's got to be a year-round thing. What are the where, where are you looking for players? Uh, do you look for players that aren't from that 150 mile an hour radius, and do you get them on your squad? Yeah, like I said, I mean, it's, um, so we looked at the North American Hockey League. I would say that's if 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 we in a perfect world we would have we would get all Minnesota kids in the North American League. Um, 
Yeah, we're all all North Minnesota kids from the North American, and I believe that's not exactly how it looks all the time. Um, so I go there first, and I look for the Minnesota kids, and then I, once you're in the North American Hockey League, you start looking for players who, okay, well, here's a good player, I like him. You, you know, you go to you go to the showcase, um, and you start, you know, finding players that you you think could be a good fit. Again, looking at their grades, looking at their you know their background, but. Uh, that is the single biggest thing to me that has brought in players from all over is the accessibility of junior hockey and uh, the, the, the way we can watch junior hockey uh, through their showcases, through, you know, uh, hockey TV. I know that might sound uh, ridiculous, but no, it's hockey not. TV is, it's given us access to uh, players. To where if I have a game on a Friday night, I could go home after the game, watch our game, and then I could pull up a, a player playing in Odessa, you know, in the North American Hockey League. And I might be pulling that game up to watch a random Minnesota kid who's playing in Odessa, but I get to watch and find a player that's from California who's a defenseman on that team that I didn't even, I wouldn't even thought about recruiting. Like one of our other captains is a, is a kid named Alex Foley, and he played for Lone Star. And he's from California. Yeah, I was going to say you got a couple. You got a kid from Indiana. Yeah. You got a kid from California. You got a kid from Utah. Uh, yeah. and one from Alberta too. So it's like it's not all right. North Dakota and Northern Minnesota kids. Although if you were to, if I were a betting man, most of them are from that area. I'd say seventy percent, sixty percent, right? Yeah, a lot of them are. So that's what I'm saying. Like, so like I'll follow these players where they go, and like, okay, Jason Bracco is from Alberta. Jason Bracco, I saw when I was recruiting Parker Simonson, who was a kid from Bismarck, who was playing for the Thief of the Falls Norskis. Yes. And he was playing against Dryden. And Jason Bracco was playing on Dryden. So then I'm like, okay, I'm here to watch Parker. And then I run into Jason Bracco. And then I find Jason Bracco's dad, who was at the game, who had flown in. So stuff like that happens all the time. You know, and then. Same thing with Alex Stoley. He's playing a Lone Star. I was watching a player who was playing against Lone Star. They were up here playing in, at Duluth um, and for the Robinson Cup, and we started talking before that. He reached out to me, and then the fact that he's playing against the Minnesota kids, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, I'm going to have a kid from California playing on our team, and he's a captain. You know, so you, there's a lot of stories like that where, Junior hockey has brought kids from different places in. And then, you know, I had a couple, I had one kid from Pittsburgh who uh, ended up being a captain for me who I was recruiting um, uh, an alumni kid, uh, Zach Deering, a Blake kid, and he was playing in Aberdeen. And then I went down to watch Zach, and then and there's this other player from Pittsburgh who their friends, and then all of a sudden he's there. You know, so... That's another way in which you get players is if you lose a kid and then you, you recruit that player, and then all of a sudden they got two buddies who, you know, are interested in coming too. And so it's it's crazy how that works, and you got to be adaptable and you got to be able to to be able to uh, you know spontaneously say, okay, here's another opportunity because that's kind of how it works with divisions right too. Your staff is uh, kind of a neat staff. Brian Lee, obviously the legend spud. And then you have Dale Lunds in his first year this year. He was a Bantam coach. I think he probably coached Isaac, didn't he? 
good. Of course, I took all the way up, and um, my assistant for the last two, two years before previous, um, he ended up getting the head job in Detroit Lakes. And so, uh, you know, I was, you know, happy. Who for was that? But then I was left with uh, Ben Noah. Ben Noah? He was my assistant. No way. But ben was, yeah, he, he, he was great. And, um, you know, he did, I think, three years with me. And so then he called me. Did Ben said, coach yeah, Isaac the- in the Bantam Elitely? Yes. How's that yes, for a did. small world, huh? And it's great. It was great. And we've known his family for a long time. And, Talk about a um, hockey head. That guy's a hockey head. Just, he lives and breathes oh, it, doesn't he? Great. He lives and breathes it. He loves it. He's a, you know, he's just a great guy. And he's doing a great job at DL. But he left. And so I was scrambling. So I reached out to Dale and I reached out to, to Brian. And I actually had another former player, Andrew Dieters, who helped out this year too. But yeah, they both said they would do it. And, you know, it helped me because it was late that I kind of found out that Ben wasn't coming back. So that's kind of life of a D3 coach. Um, you know, there's a lot of times where because you don't have a full-time paid assistant, a lot of times you have to you have to adapt and be able to to be able to find people who are willing to, to give their time and, and not say giving their time, but, you know, you pay them a stipend, but it's really out of the goodness of their hearts that, that they're willing to say, hey, I'm going to take this stipend and I'm going to, treated as if I'm a full-time person. So I've been very lucky. And yeah, both, both Brian and Dale were great this year. Uh, really fun. And, and, you know, the thing about a youth hockey coach is they're in a lot of situations. They're in a lot, they, there are a lot of games. Uh, they have to they take the team that they have, and they have to find a way to make it work. I mean, it's not like you're bringing in people. Um, you, you have that group, and you work with them, and, and you got to really try to find ways to get out of, uh, the most out of kids. And so I knew that Dale was going to be able to do that. And obviously with Brian, with his experience playing and being around great coaches and great, uh, you know, organizations, it was like, man, it was so much fun to have him around and helping. And um, it definitely helped our group to have both those guys this year. And, and again, I've been lucky all the way through to have great people you know, stepping up and helping me here um, to, to make it work. Because it's really, really hard to do it by yourself. Um, it's kind of doing all the jobs that you have to do as a Division three coach. I mean, it's you got to do them, but it's nice to have people that, that step up and give their time. So you said, you know, these guys aren't, this is not their full-time job. They're working full-time jobs and they're coming to work. And so do you put any of the, uh, of their uh, job capabilities, job description is recruiting, or are they just kind of helping you with the day-to-day hockey part of it? Uh, they, they just, they're just helping me. They, like, like I'll bring Brian in, you know, if, if I need him to t- talk to one of the recruits, I, you know, and say, Hey, if you want to coach Lee's willing to talk to you, I'll call Brian and say, well, you know, would you talk to this player or, you know, but I, I don't, I don't have them go out and, and go on the road recruiting. I don't have, I mean, I just, I, I just want them to be at practice and be at the games. Um, you know, that's what I want them to do. And, you know, I, I do the recruiting. I, I always say, if you guys want to, and coach Harrington did this for us too. He's like, Hey, I know you guys have full-time jobs. Um, you could do as you know, you could do as much as you want or as little as you want. And I knew I wanted to coach at that time. So I just did as much as I could, obviously at that time. But, these guys, um, they come in and they, they work very hard, and um, but I don't make them. I don't 
it's not part of their job description to go up to Bismarck on a on a on a Tuesday to watch a junior game, you know, or anything like that. If if they happen to ask to do that, I have them do that. If they want to reach out to players uh, and talk to them, I I, I I obviously give them the opportunity to do that, but I'm not making them do any of those things. You know, their their full time jobs are where their prior, their number one priority is, and you know. I don't want to lose that by having too much right. on the weighing them down too much. You know? um, you, you talked earlier about uh, looking for the type of player you're looking for. You, you mentioned captains, and I, I, I underlined that. I underlined that when you said that. Walk through what a captain looks like to you, a captain of a junior team or captain of a high school team, and why that's so important at Concordia. Well, for me, it's like if I if I know a kid that captain. I mean, sometimes it's a, it's a, you know, the EVAC captains who are voted on or, you know, are, are, you know, elected for, for different reasons. But for the most part, if you're a captain, that means you're involved with the coaches. You know, you, you've talked to the coaches, the coaches trust you. Um, you're, you're, you're able to communicate between the players and, and you're able to come to the coach with concerns. Um, you're involved in, in, in organizing things within the group. Um, you're able to to say, hey, listen to what the players are saying, and be able to say, okay, guys, I hear you, you know, and I understand that, and I can bring that up to the coaches. However, you know, we have a job to do, and and you're going to follow. I'm going to I'm going to show the way how to do it. Those are kids that I just I just like having kids that were captains around because they've been involved, um, you know, with more than just showing up to the rink for practice. I mean, there's more to it than just showing up to practice and you know, getting yourself ready to, to to play in the practice. When you're a captain, there's just more responsibilities and 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 there's windows into what's going on as far as uh, what it takes to be successful. Like it's there's more to it than just showing up at the rink. And the captains understand that more than more than maybe some of the other players. So I try to find those guys, and if you can get a room full of them, um, not all of them are going to be captains in your program. However, the they have an easier time understanding what's going on and buying into the concept of, you know, one big team, one big Jersey type of attitude that we try to have. Like it's, it's a we versus not me, you know, it's a, it's a team. And it just, we've had a lot of success with that, bringing those type of people in. And then when you start getting a group of those guys, then when you pull those captains, when, when you have the captains out of the captains, it's really something fun to see how that works. Yeah, that that does get to be fun. It's kind of a competition of of greatness versus just uh, seeking for mediocrity, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and you know, again, it's like I've always thought, you know, I've always thought that when when you know you coming up here to Concordia, I knew we were going to be able to get some pretty good players. I also knew that being where we were. You know, there's a lot of competition in the Metro with all the other Mayak schools. So I'm like, okay, we're going to get as many top players as we can, but we're also going to get some guys who believe in the fact that intangibles and, you know, camaraderie and uh, spirit can beat someone who might be better than you uh, on paper. Right. And again, the, the more captains you bring in, the more they understand that. You know, the more they, the more they understand that there's more to it than just, the best team doesn't always win the game. You know, the best player doesn't always win the game. Um, it's, you know, the, the, there's the competitive spirit, there's the intangibles, there's the, you know, the, the mental toughness, all those things that go into it. And if you have guys who have left before, 
um, it's easier to get them to rally around that. And, and we've always had that. And that's what I learned from Coach Harrington. Coach Harrington always talked about it. Like, hey, it's us against the world. Um, we're going to have that underdog mentality all the time. We're going to show up and we're just going to, we're going to work. We're going to work and we're going to, we're going to get better every day. And we're going to see how that works out, you know, and, you know, he just always told us, he goes, you know, if, if you're willing to do those things and not be stuck on what the result is right away, you know, right. you can accomplish some pretty great things. And, and, and again, again, as a, as a young player, I just said, well, it's, it worked for them. You know, they, they did pretty well in 1980 doing that. And, and he must've learned something from that. And I just, it just became, that was my mentality, you know, as a, as a coach was, you know what, if somebody said we couldn't, if somebody said that we weren't good enough, we still could find a way to do it, you know, by, by building that camaraderie and spirit. So, you know, that's kind of how, how that came about. What do you think in your 12 years there, what's the, the biggest accomplishment? Not necessarily, not necessarily wins and losses. Maybe it's, it's uh, growing kids. What do you think when you mark, when you look back so far, what, what has that been? Well, you know, I, I really believe like, okay, well, there's just something that happened this year that I thought was pretty, pretty special. We, uh, and, and again, I think this is probably the, the best thing that kind of encapsulates it and, and puts it in perspective. We, we lose the St. Thomas in the, the Maya championship game this year. And, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty devastating. I thought we had a really good chance to win that game. And I, I was walking off the ice and I was just like, you know, I really thought this was going to be, you know, the year we had lost in the Maya championship. One of the times a good friend of mine, Scott Bell, my third year, he beat us in the championship. And I remember kind of having that feeling at that point, like, is this it? Is this the way it's going to be? Um, right. You know, like, you know, is this all there is? And I remember kind of refocusing at that time on building building great people, like building what I call, you know, I call leaders of leaders and champions in life. And I kind of developed that after we lost um, that initial time in the Maya championship. So fast forward, I'm walking off the ice, and I'm like, man, you know, it's just, I thought, I thought this was going to be, you know, the year and you walk in the room after the game and it's real quiet. And I didn't really know what to say. A lot, a lot of times I, 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 I'll say something right away and I didn't know what to say. And I had a couple of things going through my mind, which was thank you and love you guys. And I didn't say anything. And it was kind of quiet. And Eddie Leeds, uh, one of our captains yep. stands up. That's, and he says, I'm well, guessing that's Carrie's son, right? Terry's son. Yeah, I figured. He's he the captain, obviously. I mean, he comes from a, a leadership pedigree, and he stands up and he goes, hey, you know, if nobody else is going to say anything, I, I got something to say. And he goes, you know, guys, this has been, a, you know, one of the pleasures of my life being a part of this group. And you know what? We didn't win that game. And he goes, and it, and it stings, you know, and it, and it, we don't have that trophy sitting in here. But he turns around to the wall and he kind of points at the wall and he says, you know, coach talks about being leaders, leaders and champions in life. And he goes, we did that, you guys. We did that. Um, the, the seniors in this room, you came in and for four years, we did that. All the guys in this group, you guys did exactly what coach talks about. You, you, you showed up and, and you served and you honored each other and you, you, you worked towards a common goal. And, and we did it every day and we improved. And he goes, we came up a little short, but he goes, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I think as a coach, I'm sitting there going like, that's game set match for me. You know, that's exactly what, that was the biggest thing for me. And I told Eddie that he called me. Um, I called him to say, you know, you know, to say, you know, goodbye to the seniors or to kind of reach out. And I told Eddie, I said, 
I just wanted you to know that that was the single best moment of my coaching career at this point mm. is when you got up in the locker room after that game. And, and he said, thank you for sharing that, Coach. You know, that really means a lot. But, you know, so that I think would encapsulate all of it, you know, to this point. And it's funny that it was after a loss. You right. Know? You would think that uh, that would be after a win, right? So it was a win right. in some ways, wasn't it? It was. It was, like I said, that, that that was it for me. Like that, okay. And I remember calling Scott, uh, Scott Belden up to me, and I told him about this kind of same thing. And he's like, well, that's it. He goes, you know, Howie, that's it. You, you won. You know, you got, you, you did it. And I'm like, yeah, we, we really did. I mean, that's, you know, and, and I, I don't know if that resonates or makes sense, but, you know, someday we're going to, we're going to get to the national tournament. Someday we're, we are going to, it's going to happen. I know it will happen. And uh, I'll tell you what, that was a, I, I'm feeling pretty good about things after that game, put it that way. That's pretty cool. All right, so one yeah. of the things I, I noted in the pre-show uh, is you're the assistant golf coach at uh, Concordia as well. Walk through um, not just the – we're going to talk through the differences, but uh, how did you get that job, um, and how did, how did that materialize a couple years in at, at Concordia? Well, when I first got to Concordia, like we have other duties as a, as a head coach, not just not just doing hockey. So you have other responsibilities, and I was teaching some classes and doing that. And um, a, a great coaching mentor of mine, Dwayne Severson, he was the basketball coach and the uh, the golf coach. He said, "Hey, you know, Gloria, let's you know, you, you're a pretty good golfer, and, and you love golf, and you're always around anyway. Like, why don't you why don't we get you on on our staff as a the assistant golf coach?" to replace the teaching duties. And I'm like, that sounds great. So that's yeah. what we did. And we kind of, we went to the athletic director at the time and, and we kind of presented that. And, and at that time there was just him, he was coaching both teams. So he needed some help with, uh, you know, between the women's team and the men's team. And so, you know, it kind of worked out for those first couple of years. I would take the men's team on the road, drive the bus and do that. And he would take the women's team and then we'd, we'd meet up uh, on the way back home from our tournament. So that's kind of how that started. And, and uh, I tell you what, it's, it's a lot of fun doing both. I mean, they, I'm just like a kid in a candy store with, you know, doing the things that I love. I get to, I get to be on the game of hockey, which I love. And then I get to be on the game of golf, which I love. So my two passions uh, uh, in sports, I'm doing for a living. It's not the PGA Tour or the NHL, but man, I tell you what, it's, it's pretty fun, Tony. Um, so let's talk about the the differences and similarities of coaching hockey and coaching golf because obviously one's an individual sport and one's a team sport but I think there's a lot to both sports that are very very similar I'm a uh, a college golfer and a, and a high school hockey player and I knew I knew enough about I know a lot about both sports and both really turned me on I really liked both sports for lots of different reasons um, walk through what it's like to be the coach of a team like that teams like that well, I think that the biggest thing, the biggest parallel, the biggest thing that I work with is uh, in both sports is getting your players to move past either a bad hole, bad shot, or a bad shift, or um, getting scored on. Um, and that's where, to me, like my coaching comes in is I try to talk to my players about, hey, like the most important player right now is this next play and the next shift. Like, whether you're you know, you created two scoring chances on your last shift. Okay, great. You could build off that, uh, but that's gone. That's just gone. 
same thing with golf. Okay, you birdie that hole. Okay, great. Now reset. And if you had a bad hole, the biggest one is saying, hey, don't let that bogey turn into three bogeys or right. four bogeys. And, uh, you know, don't let that, you know, you got to be able to hockey, as a hockey player, you got to be able to, if you have a bad shift, you can't wait to the period break to get yourself collected again. You know, you have to be able to come back and say reset, whether it was, you know, good or bad shift, but you got to reset. And I think that's the biggest parallel to me um, with the two is that inner game, that right. inner game of, of what's going on, you know, it, it, between shifts and between holes. You know, in golf, it could really slip away fast. Uh, like, that inner demon is really bad. But, but I've noticed in hockey it does, too. Like, yeah. You, you know, you lose... You, you may lose your confidence, you know, you lose your mojo a little bit. You start thinking that, you you know, you, you know, okay, I, I made a mistake there. I, I can't, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Like I've lost it. And it's like, no, it's not that you didn't lose it. It's still there. You guys, you just have to be able to reset, refocus and say, Hey, let's, this next shift is an opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity to go out there and it's a fresh new, it's a fresh new hole. It's a fresh new shift. So, that's the biggest parallel for me. Can you overcoach in either sports or undercoach in either of those sports? Yes, both. When overcoach. Yeah, I don't think you can undercoach. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you can't. You don't do anything. I, I mean, I, you know what I mean. I think yeah. overcoaching is, is way more common. I mean, I, you know, I use this analogy all the time. Like, especially like with my son growing up, I always tell him, like, Isaac, like, hey, can you can you catch a pass? Can you stick him a puck? Can you protect the puck? Can you shoot with your feet moving? Can you one time the puck? Can you can you do all these things in hockey? All these skills? And he goes, Yeah, I could do them all. I said, Okay, well then, just go do it. Just go play. Just go play. Like you're not going to forget it. And same thing with golf. Like it's like in golf. Like hey, you, how many balls have you hit in, in your life? How many times you've gone out there and just strike fifty wedges in a row, or you know, hits you know, a hundred perfect seven irons in a row and your swing is there. Like if you get to this level, it's there. Just go play, just go play, pick a target and swing, let it go. You know? And so I, I yeah, I think we can overcoach and we could, you know, we could overthink everything. And, you know, in hockey, it's such a great game too. Like I would tell our guys, like it is great. You guys, it's not black and white. Like we could put all the X's and O's on the board and tell you what to do. But the minute you step on the ice, it's probably breaking down in some sort, you know? So what are you going to do now? You know, you have to be able to, to read and react and play. And the more overcoaching, if you, if you, if you think you can tell a player where to go on the ice at all the time, you're, you're going to be mistaken because the player is going to be, I always call it paralyzed by analysis. Right. The player is going to be stuck. They're going to be stuck because they just are like, what am I supposed to do? So, yeah, I, I think it's so true. We overcoach way too much. I, yep. uh, you and I chatted about this. I had the world's worst high school golf coach, the worst ever. Um, he overcoached. That's why I even thought of this concept. Have you? Did you ever have a moment while coaching golf, or like during the match, like it, it holes one through eighteen with with a kid, where you might have actually helped them? <laughs> Probably more often than not, I'm hurting my golf. Right. Golf balls, you know. Um, you know. And even in hockey, the more... That was, gonna, that was my next question, is did you ever help someone yeah, during I'm a game? Hollering, well, yeah, if I'm hollering and screaming all the time at my players, I mean, they're not going to... 
you know, they're not going to make plays. They're not going to feel like, okay, have confidence and stuff. And they, they don't hear me anyway, for the most part. When you're when you're on the bench, if you think you're you're making an impact, like really, you know, tell them to do something on the ice. I mean, for the most part, they're just playing. So, you know, most of the time in the game, I'm just trying to keep guys and trying to see what's going on, watch the play, see if there's anything that we need to make adjustments for in between periods. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, it's trying to keep the guys focused and positive and, and, and you know, keeping everything upbeat for them uh, to where they can make plays and do their best. I mean, it's, these players know when they make mistakes. They do. Like, they know. Like, when they, if, if you're out there and you have something go wrong on a shift, they know. You right. know, they know. You know? And the same thing in golf. Like, if, if the guy snap hooks it out of bounds and I'm just like, if I'm looking at him and I'm like, the whole golf course is to your right, that's usually what I ask them. I'm like, well, what were you thinking there? Yeah, it's like, hard. Why? Did, what were you thinking there? There was nothing. You had 300 yards of golf course to your right. You know, what were you thinking? You yeah. Know, hockey, I'll, you, know, you know, a lot of times I'll ask them, like, what was, what was going on? What was your thought process? Because a lot of times I'll tell a player that hockey sense trumps everything. In some ways, it does. Everything. It does. It trumps everything. If you, if, if if you know that the play is there to be made, make it, make it. I'm not going to. You you're you're playing the game. You know, um, and you know, the thing about the X's and O's, they they do break down quick, and it's like, okay, what do I do when it breaks down? And I I try to give our guys like a few cues. I'm like, you know, guys, if you're out there and something goes wrong in a shift, your first thought just should be, okay, how can I get back on the defensive side if we don't have the puck? Right. You know, that's a, that's a smart way to look at it. Or if I'm a defenseman, uh, I have a couple things that I tell them all the time. It's like, okay, if you're late, you know, you probably got to vacate, and if you don't know, you can't go. And I do like stuff like that. So like, it just gives them a couple little little, little things to remind themselves of. And if you're on the floor check, if you're late, you probably got to vacate. You yeah. Know? You, 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 it's just little things like that. And if they get on the D side, it, it, whenever something goes wrong in a, in a hockey shift, if you get back above the puck and get on the D side, you're going to be okay. In golf, in golf, if you can find and, and say, okay, here's where the hazards are on the golf course, here's where I can miss, you know, here's where my outs are, you're going to probably be okay if you just kind of play to those places, you know, and it's that's kind of what I do, you know, with, with golf, as I say, look, here's Here's where you have available misses, and here's where you got to avoid. If you avoid hazards, you're going to be in a good spot, you know? If that makes sense. It know. makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and, and the games, yep. the the game, you know, golf is super mental and, and, and um, hockey super physical, but there's yep. a combination of both in each of them. You know, like you said, yep, it's, it's, it's hockey can get super mental at certain times and golf is, you know, as mental as it is, you, you still got to strike the ball, right? You still got to get it down the middle. You still got to get it on the green. You still got to get out of trouble. Yep. And there's still a little yep. bit of a physical to it that it isn't all mental, the game, right? Right. So, right. well, believe it or not, Mr. Howe, it's been an hour. We, we've, we've used up our time, our allotment. We've got to know a lot more about you. Uh, I think that uh, our fans in the Concordia area and the Moorhead area will get a good chance to get to know who you are. Potential recruits, maybe we'll get to know a little bit more about you someday. They'll do a Google search, and they'll see a podcast with you on it. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to like what they hear. That's for sure. I really appreciate it, Tony. It's a pleasure to be on, and uh, 
Uh, I love uh, love paying attention to, uh, to all the things you guys have going down there uh, with with your uh, with your program. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, as part of today's show, Chris will get a gift from the Minnesotan sent to him. Uh, thanks to the Minnesotan again for their sponsorship of today's show. Make sure to stop in and check it out. My good friend John King says it's the best store in the world. Thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you around the rink soon.